Doc, I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to... We deserve full shares, right, right baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation is... Move! Get out of there! Don't you move! Dad! Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Green, Matska, Maj, and Perry, Papa P. Papa P. <laughs> <laughs> right. <Hey>, Papa P. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome everyone to this another great episode, uh, roundtable episode, and we're here to discuss the alien life cycle, something we haven't really discussed as a show before. And as we talk about Covenant and Prometheus, and as they explore different versions or iterations of the alien life cycle i thought it would be a great idea to actually talk about it and find out like first in many ways when we have when we have guests on our show we ask them what was your entry into alien and they tell us their story but what i'm interested in in terms of a way into this discussion is with you guys when you first saw the chestburster the egg what was your visceral response as children as adults depending on when you saw it and then we can kind of take the conversation from there. And from there, meaning, did it work? Is it something that stays with you, um, like in the back of your head? Um, and then we're, we can get into the different iterations that we saw in terms of what Prometheus gave us and then what Covenant gave us, which was something wholly different. Because um, Prometheus kind of stayed with the tropes to some degree. Covenant really took it further than that. And I'm curious if that works for everyone. And the final question would be, as we get into this episode, what else could they do? And is what we have seen in the original films still impactful? And does it still work? So that's the scope that I had in mind that Patrick and I discussed. So, And now one at a time, we have to answer every single one of those questions. (laughs) So I hope everybody was taking notes. Um, Hey, before we get started, uh, a little alert for you all. We have a new patron. <laughs> okay. Did that sound that awesome. at all? It, that was, it that's a, I, a hissing little yeah. alien. Uh, we have a Isaiah Gladden just joined our Patreon about Ooh. an hour ago. So Welcome what up, Isaiah. Isaiah? Welcome aboard the Gladden USS Aranome. You. Uh, you've become a member of our crew. And if you're interested in joining Isaiah and you're out there listening to it, go to perfectorganism.com slash support. And, uh, and we would absolutely love, love to have you. So thank you, Isaiah, for that. And let's get one more. The alien. Oh, yeah, we should before, <laughs> yeah, 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 before yeah. the night's over. I'm kidding. Yeah, Not that they're yeah. listening. No, I, you, know, but, you know what? I, this is going to be Chekhov's uh, Xenomorph because at some point tonight, this thing will go off again and you're not going <laughs> to coming. Uh, and for those listening, we just had a final rehearsal for an audio drama releasing on Alien Day 2022, which is 426 for those who don't know. And 
your money, the money that people give us, which includes members of our roundtable and myself and Patrick, because we pay for it too. Um, your money will go right into and has gone right into producing this show. Um, so thank you. And if you want to see more stuff like that, even though I vowed not to do one next year. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's please sign up uh, perfectorganism.com forward slash support. So with that, we can jump right in. So Patrick, you should start. Oh, I should. Yes, you should. Are you, is this because you want to hear the alien again? Um, Maybe. So yeah. So my earliest memories of the life cycle in my personal life are nebulous because I was so little at the time, right? It wasn't something that I was super uh, like keyed into. And it was something that had been spoiled for me already, unfortunately. Something that I'm really jealous of people who were able to see it in theaters for, those of whom, you know, those who are still with us at least, is... Uh, <laughs> It's not that old. Um, <laughs> they're all dead. All right. Can we go? Now? <laughs> they're dead. All right. Can we go now? Uh, I'm, I'm really jealous for people who didn't see it coming or didn't already have all that, you know, in the cultural lexicon. You know, a lot of people bring up space balls as being the reason why it was spoiled for them as kids. For me, it was it was mostly uh, the hushed tones of eight year olds on a playground. That was for me, like my intro. You know, I've told the story a lot about how I first got into Alien, but it was because I had a friend who whose father worked for Kenner and had a prototype of the gorilla that came, uh, you know, he brought it to school one day and I was like just so incredibly fascinated with it and we were talking about it. And that was sort of like those early birds and bees conversations that you have with your friends where people are trying to figure out exactly how stuff works. And it's like not quite making sense, but they're like, I know like babies come from something. It was similar to that with aliens where it was like, you know, like, yeah, there's like an alien that comes out of somebody and like, it comes from an egg and it's like the egg comes into his face somehow. And so I, I went for a while trying to figure out like what this actually meant, you know? And then when I saw the movie, it all kind of came together, but it, you know, I, I, I never personally found the chest burster idea in terms of the life cycle, particularly frightening to me, the more frightening part was the was the hugger stage and the suffocation aspect and this idea of being immobilized. Um, and I think that for me, and we'll get to this later, some of the things that could potentially be improved upon, I think, is is spending more time in that phase. Like the only real face hugger screen time we get of note, other than you know, running around everywhere, you know, is in the first film. And it's because and that, you know, we we get so much time with Kane's experience and with this mystery around what's going on and like, why is it keeping him alive? And, you know, we have the med bay and we have all these wonderful, you know, uh, glimpses into the physiology of this thing. And, and it's amazing because at that point we really don't know what the, you know, unless it's been spoiled for you, you've already seen it. You don't really know why it's like still there and why it's so defensive and why, you know, it's, it's so uh, freaky. And, and I think that like mystery to me has stuck with me quite a bit. So yeah, a long way of saying that uh, to, to me, I've always found the, the hugger stage more impactful. And I've always been curious, you know, we have so few glimpses of like the adolescent stage of the creature. We have so few sub adult glimpses of it, you know? Um, and I, I like that. I think that it should probably stay that way. It should be kind of glimpsed, but not necessarily seen in that stage because it keeps some of the mystery, but yeah, the life cycle is a complicated thing. What about the rest of you? Yeah, Patrick, just going off from what you said, I feel like I had a very similar introduction 
to the creature and talking about it with friends specifically my buddy chris who grew up who i grew up with and um having a lot of the kenner figures as well and just experiencing it together with him when we would watch the movies and talk through you know just like where did these things come from and how you know how is it like who who created something like this and and how yeah there's just like at such a young age back then it's like we'd never come across some sort of any sort of animal that does something like that or whatever so you're just your brain's going in all the different directions of like how you know what is this well how can it do that and and just thinking of all the everything else all the possibilities like you were saying but uh for me i had to agree i the the chestburster piece being as violent as it is, like it definitely is scary and something that you can't control. Like that's um, it's something that like freaks me out, right? Like you have no control. And th- that part of it is very, um, just as always kind of burned into my brain. But, but with the like something that looks so innocent at first, but yet is so deadly, like that is what's scary. Like Kane going down into that ship and seeing all those eggs and thinking that he's on the brink of discovering some sort of life, which he is. Um, but that, you know, in most cases or however it's presented to us is, is a very positive thing or, or something that's very um, joyous or, or whatnot, you know, you're discovering something new, you get to put your name on it. Kane's son it's it's actually very horrific you know what ends up happening to him and the fact that it's almost like it's over before it begins like he's looking down into that egg and the minute that thing came out it was over for him like that no one knew how to handle it or to help him and so that part of it has always been was always so frightening and just um dark and horrific uh and i th- i think too just another piece like these eggs have been there for who knows how long but yet they're still alive <laughs> like s- something like that you know in in our reality like you'd think something like that would die out by then and not be harmful and for it to still be alive after however long that ship has been there um it's just it freaks me out wait a minute this movement Yeah, that that stage of it is great. I I also think the I guess the um the adolescent stage of of it turning and growing into the Xeno is is should, you know, obviously I don't think we should see like what that looks like. I think that's a great piece to be kept in our heads and in our imaginations as far as that happens. But ultimately it was something, I mean, that I technically still have nightmares about. And Jamie, I know you do too, although you're not scared of them. But uh, it's it's just something that is burned, I think, into my subconscious, uh, which is just something that I love about this film and about the monster itself. It's just so unique. There's There's nothing really out there that's like that. And it's forever just scarred in my memory as this horrific thing that that can happen to you 
from there, I just, uh, I'll love it for that. I, I like love it for that more than like it scares me. So I'm like, I'm always very intrigued. And and I think too, that like goes along with like Giger's artwork, right? Like um, a lot of his paintings and, and drawings and, and things, um, you know, that he created even the egg itself. It's so different in a sense. It's just so intriguing. It, and, and you're always, my brain is always thinking like, what is this really like? What is, you know, what was he thinking about when he created this and things like that? And and that's just kind of like what I'm constantly doing every time I, I think watch these films, like, yeah, I can throw it on in the background mash and uh, not think about, you know, do it while watch it now, like while I'm doing my laundry too. But then there will be moments where I catch myself like watching it. And I'm just like thinking about that or like, or like in the, I'm just like, thinking about the life cycle even though i'm not I, I didn't like plan on trying to um you know what i'm saying like like think about that in a sense um i'm and i'm sitting there just like in awe still these years so many years later like i'm understanding it in a different way and and it's just it's still amazing to me You're like folding your laundry into an egg yeah <laughs> like what's going on i'm putting it on the bed like at a at a, <laughs> at a resort <laughs> yeah, like a goose. yeah yeah i saw aliens first and it was definitely on television and it was definitely not from the beginning so that film already assumes that you know what the life cycle is and then if you turn it tune in late my first exposure to the, to the chest purser has to have been the colonist but I'm wondering, I feel like I actually, the first time I sat down and watched it, or my, I, my dad was watching it and I walked in, I feel like the first thing I saw that was even related to that was actually the death or the, the, the moment where Bishop is torn apart. And so the, the tale of the queen coming through his chest is meant to evoke the chest burster. But if that's the first thing you saw, then the next time you try to watch it, it's like, do these things burrow in from your back and then jump out your front? You know? I, I, I had no context that even Ripley's dream sequence, once you see it, you don't know how she got to that place. And so when, when Jamie uh, proposed this, this part of the, of the episode, like what was your first memory? I don't think I put together that the chest burster was the end result of a face hugger. I thought they were separate, scary things that could happen to people. <laughs> so it was only later when I went back and watched the first film. It's like, oh, this is all laid out. There's a whole process to this. You know? Tighten it up, Frost. We're getting a little thin. Nice and easy. Looks like some sort of secreted resin. Yeah. But secreted from what? Nobody touched nothing. So that, that was my first exposure. And I know in the past, Patrick, you've talked about the, the, the goopy thing. I think you talked about this on the, the colonist's face in the hive. And you said that you thought it looked delicious, which is really gross and worries me about you. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, Christian. I was talking not about that. I was talking about the cocoon material that Newt is in in the end, which, which to me is delicious. The colonist's face goop, I, I agree with you, is not. Yeah, it is not good. Although now that you mention it, you know, no. So, I mean, that's a traumatic moment anyway. And, and you know, the, the, as the first 
the first truly horrific thing that happens in that movie. Um, it, it definitely has stuck with me. And well, we'll talk more about the the way the life cycle has been portrayed in other films and and how it could be portrayed in the future. But that was my first instinct was just um, I had no frame of reference for what I was seeing. I just knew that it was fascinating and really, really scary at the same time. My experience is like the opposite. Some it's kind of like Patrick said, I was very spoiled. It was almost a dare. It was like the whole, that was the whole point was to see the chest burster. And that was the thing that I knew was the big scary moment in the movie. So, but I didn't necessarily know about um, each stage, but I think that that's my earliest memory is just waiting for that moment. But I do remember when I saw it and just th- the early days of thinking about it, there was something about it that just felt uh, appropriately uh, like violating and just like, uh, you know, perverse, I guess is, would be the word, but just there's something almost like uh, it's like disrespectful <laughs> and it's just, you know, wrong or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I agree. I have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts about, um, as I was thinking about uh, the life cycle in like preparation for this, when I was thinking and just re- reading about it, even though I knew, you know, we all know what it is, but I was like, maybe if I read about it, I'll come up with some things to think about. And um, thing that struck me is that there's still so much mystery in it. There's something about it also that is like sort of a paradox you it still has a lot of mystery because the face hugger now we're gonna now it's a bit of you know it's been brought up on previous episodes almost funny like is it the perfect organism you know does it really make that much sense but it's i think that's what's kind of cool about it if um if it almost looks like the face hugger was designed to grab a human's head you know what are if there's a planet where the aliens come from is it just populated with other mammals or you know what is what is the the origin of it. So yeah, I think we'll get into that a bit later, I guess, about my, uh, what I was thinking about, um, the different sort of perspectives you can take on it and how it's still, and I, and I can, uh, and I have a story, I mean, a short story for later about why it is still scary, but yeah, that was my first, uh, impression of it. Mash, are you, are you talking specifically about the first film that you were dared to watch the John Hurt chest bursting scene? Yes. Yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. Cause I told this story a million years ago when uh, when I first appeared on the pod um, that I heard of the movie when I asked my dad what the scariest movie he ever saw was. And he said Alien. And I was like, what? why was it so scary? And he told me that something burst out of a guy's chest. And so I lived with that thought for a few years, at least before I, I was a total like scaredy cat. I wouldn't watch any scary movies. And then I got to a point where I was like, I could probably handle this. And then watched it and loved it of course but yeah it, it lived in my mind for a while before i ever had the the visual i also want to uh, point out that we're about to get to that sequence of the film behind Madge's head right now oh yeah <laughs> the audience well for me it. it was like t- it was like you christian it was on tv it was aliens it was black and white and i remember seeing the colonist the woman strapped in you know and they find her and i don't i just remember not understanding like well what is she doing there and then a couple things happened where my mom was like, someone was like, you can't see this. 
and you start you see her convulsing and i remember being like oh my god what's happening to her and i think there was a pillow put in front of the television or something and then it's explained to me something's coming out of her chest but it's too much for you to see right now and i'm like what but i also remember like it was a woman too so of course your little boy and your mom you know so you envision why is this happening to them you know um and it was really burned into my head like that first experience was with that colonist from Hadley's Hope. And it was, it was just, it was, yeah, I don't think I just remember. I do remember when I was a kid having some nightmares. Um, I don't think it were particularly like with that specific alien, but like certainly something coming out of you, something in like in something coming out of the darkness. Like I remember it scaring me to death. Um, so that was my first memory of that part of the life cycle i didn't end up seeing alien until later and, when, and i was a little bit older but then i remember noticing the tail tighten around keen and i remember how sick that made me and how real it looked and i remember even thinking as a even though i was an older kid thinking what is that thing because it looks real i i mean it looks real it's got that like slimy shiny sheen that you see on snakes and other animals um that really like grossed me out because it's right here in your throat and like what would that do and i'm claustrophobic um so yeah and by the time i saw kane's chest burst i was already i'd seen aliens quite a few times so it wasn't that big of a deal to me um but yeah certainly the first that first moment of seeing it in aliens scarred me for sure Can I, can I just jump in quick and say, in the original Star Wars, 1977, when they're in the trash compactor, and I think it's called a Dianoga, grabs Luke, he goes under the water, and when he comes back up, his hair is all wet, and it's slicked down on his head. And I misunderstood that from my first viewings. I thought there was a membrane over his face, and there was a thing around his neck, and it like pressed to him. Like I remembered it much grosser and much more disgusting than it actually was. And it's really funny because that's pretty much what the face hugger is, but not see-through. But that, that sense of being strangled and having something alien pressed up against your face, it's just funny that I had experienced that on my own through Star Wars before I even got to Alien. But it's a similar kind of, I would never, ever want an alien on my face and, and choking me. It's definitely something to avoid. I think it's safe to say. <laughs> yeah. you know, the trash compactor sequence is the only sequence in the original trilogy that our our kids, especially our older kid, is he's like very afraid of that, and he cl- he does covers his eyes every single time. Like, which I get why, because it's obviously like a dangerous moment, and it's kind of. But he like does not like the creature effects in that. He finds it very disturbing. He doesn't like the walls closing in, and he covers his eyes every time. And that gets at something that a couple of you have mentioned that Jamie was just talking about specifically about this forbidden fruit angle where it's like, because the first time many of us saw this, it was with you know parents or guardians or older people, although not for me, but a lot of us, uh, although I'm sure I closed my eyes because I was freaked out, a lot of us were told not to look at it and then just sort of told what had happened. Um, and I know the first time that our kids saw these films, you know, I, we kind of warned them about those sequences, you know, beforehand and, uh, and, you know, and I'm sure at some point I was kind of like, do you want me to like do this? And the act of doing that makes it infinitely more frightening and that, that it goes to the heart of, you know, 
show more of show less and you know tell more right that like for for a lot of the the horror elements in these things that work so well it's because our imagination is filling in the blanks and so for me as a kid on that playground hearing about the life cycle i was like this is the fucking scariest thing i've ever heard about in my life there's this creature with no visible eyes that bursts out of somebody like what the actual shit and then when you see it for me, the part of the reason why Kane's you know death sequence, although it's one of the great moments on in film history, and it's one of my favorite moments in the franchise, one of the reasons why it doesn't really ring quite as powerfully to me as the facehugger, for example, itself, I think is because there's intent behind it, and it's clear that it's birth, that it's about something specific and biological. Whereas with the facehugger sequence, and also just with the Ovomorph in general, when we he's first encountering them, there is this uh, suspension of resolution going on where it's sort of like what is what is happening right Jamie you're talking about when the when the the tail coil goes around the, goes around his neck and tightens like there is something obviously it's extremely unsettling but there's also something almost protective about it not even of the embryo but of Cain it's like get away from this organism I'm going to protect it with my life I was born for this this is my destiny you know there's something and because the, the hugger of course in the course of doing this will die. So like the facehugger is is doing this so that it may die, so that the organism that comes next may live. There's something like very powerful about that and very confusing. It's very uh, ambivalent, you know, even though it's not ambivalent in its horror, there's something strangely almost loving about it, about this transference of life. And I think the beats in Alien that work the best for all of us, and I think I am safe in saying this, are the beats where we're not like a hundred percent sure what's going on yet, but we know that it's like moving something deep within us. Like, you know, uh, and I think that to me, part of why covenant works so well, and I'm not trying to jump there yet is because there are, it reintroduces a couple of moments like that for me where I'm like, what, what, like, what is going on? A moment of actual genuine confusion. Um, the, you know, it's, it's worth pointing out, of course, that, the screenplay and a lot of the ideas behind this life cycle were influenced by by Dan O'Bannon's struggles with Crohn's disease and with you know other with with chronic pain, and that this was you know part of this was his way of kind of exercising that sensation out. And I think that uh, you know it's it's interesting. Like I've always hated being nauseous. That's something that I just don't tolerate very well. I get like super freaked out by it. You know, I get like panicky about when I'm when I'm nauseous. I just like really don't like that feeling at all. So I can 100% get that. But I can tell you something that I like less than that. It was being strangled. And I think part of why the facehugger is so effective for us is it reminds us that we only have one way in and out in terms of air, right? That like we only have this very like, you know, we have two sets of most things, but we only got one airway. And that airway is only a couple inches wide and it's very susceptible to interruption. And uh, you know, that the facehugger represents this interesting paradox in that it's cutting us off from our ability to breathe, but it's breathing for us. You know, and in the age of COVID. In the age of ventilators and intubation and th this this idea of you know mechanical apparatus that breathe for us or that help us to breathe ourselves like we've become kind of used to that idea almost as a concept and the facehugger for me remains so powerful because it's like you know it's 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 a callback to this primitive fear that we have about being able to breathe and then an answer to that primitive fear with i will breathe for you there's something very paradoxical about that that i just find really intriguing on the covid piece of it it's it's very ironic how and i think we've touched on this in 
other episodes, but how there's this thing that can infect you that you can't see. You don't necessarily know how it will affect you once you have it. Uh, and this idea has been presented in horror films, <laughs> um, you know, back since the seventies and, um, is just kind of a metaphor or, you know, just from symbolizes, I guess, what the, this life cycle to an alien is like. Um, so yeah, which just makes COVID even scarier. If you think about that while you're doing your laundry and then you go, into this wormhole rabbit hole of thoughts <laughs> no but it's you know it's it's definitely um uh adds to to just that unknown not knowing yeah can can we actually while we're on the subject can i propose that we talk about the face hugger in particular for a couple minutes is that okay yeah. because because we really never have which is crazy like i mean obviously the face hugger comes up but I feel like we haven't really unpacked, like, I mean, it's an, it's an iconic design that has, you know, mystified audiences for so long. And it's been so tropified now that I think we're forgetting about, or at least I'm forgetting sometimes how a remarkable of a design it actually was and why it's so effective and why, I mean, and anybody who's ever heard behind the scenes tracks knows every factoid about facehuggers because there's like tons of that, but you know you know, why they used actual animal parts for the interior of it and how it was Ridley's hands and the egg and all these things, right? Like the facehugger is a very powerful thing that I feel like we don't talk about very much. And, and I, I want to point something out, which Christian had mentioned a couple of episodes ago, how in Alien, of course, it still has fingernails, right? On its on the ends of its um, arms. And there's something about that that is uh, is like especially ambivalent in the in the real meaning of that word to me, where it's like, it's a grasping mechanism, right? That it's latching onto your face, but it's doing so with recognizably human hands, right? And hands that are graceful looking, like they're they're spindly. They, they don't look, they're not like, it's not like this crushing force. It's this graceful, almost feminine hand that's sort of grabbing you on the sides of your head. Uh, I think like I, I need to remind myself, I think sometimes about how impactful a design that the face hugger is and, and how, how much it deserves more praise than I think we give it, especially looking at the early versions, which Christian, you posted a great behind the scenes, not behind the scenes, but a great conceptual art photo of that to our Facebook recently. Um, you know, anybody who's seen Giger's, you know, pre-production stuff or abandoned things, they, they know that the face hugger was not what it was until very late in the game. And it went through all these iterations where it looks like ridiculous. It doesn't look like something that would actually work physiologically or biologically. And it looks like something that is sort of a, almost like a spoof, you know, like just like the the chicken burster was, right? It looks, it feels awkward. And then it's definitely like they pretty gross though design. when it had the eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely <laughs> gross, but it's not. It doesn't feel like uh, iconic to me the way that the actual face hugger does. Yeah. But it's still very phallic, though. Like the, even the original designs, like if you look at it, I mean, it looks like a penis and testicles. That's yeah, what it does when it true. folds in, and so that's. I mean, that's a whole other discussion about the facehugger is the idea of being kind of orally raped um, and, you know, you have no choice and it's pinning you down and kind of it gets into, I mean, for anyone that would happen to that would be horrific, you know, um, but certainly it's getting into that kind of cis male hetero psyche of like, what if this happens to you from something that's identifiably phallic um, and how horrific that would be. And they play even in this 
in the version that we ended up seeing in the films, it's still a version of that, you know, where you're being pinned down and you're being raped through your mouth and you're being impregnated at the same time. Uh, so it's like a double whammy. It's just the psychology around that. And to a point that you made earlier, Patrick, in terms of like, it's when it's got its hands on you and you see this, this thing tightening and it's, and it's tightening as it realizes it's being seen almost by other whatever people, whatever, but it can tell that it's vulnerable. And in that moment, the human and the face hugger are one organism. One cannot live without the other. And if you take off one, both will die. Well, no, I think in aliens, they took out one, but still the human died. Um, but they be, for those moments, they become one breathing thing. And it's just terrifying. In the Giger, the, in the Giger painting that I posted, it has almost like a turkey head above and then in Alan Dean Foster's novelization, it has one big eye on the back. And I'm so glad that none of that made it into the final thing. Like if it was looking at them at all, it, it, it just changes the whole meaning of it. But to have it be something that, yes, it's got those crone's fingers that are, that are you know, clinging to his scalp. And then it's got the snake tail wrapped around and, and everything. But you can't, you can't reason with it. There's no mouth. There's no eyes. There's no anything. But, but like Jamie just said, it, it still knows there's somebody there and it's, it's being protective or it's being territorial. But the really interesting thing, we are so used to it because we've grown up with it. It's completely unnecessary. Cain could have had some sort of small spore, you know, shoot through his helmet and down his throat or something weird like that, or, or what we see in Covenant. You could almost get away with taking that whole section of the life cycle out. And I'm so glad that they didn't get that, that memo of like, we can't afford it. We can't do it that they went for this really weird and cumbersome creature that then complicates the life cycle so much of, it isn't just, you know, an egg has a baby alien that grows to a big alien. It's this other thing that doesn't actually even resemble the, the full grown alien. It's and in some of the expanded media, they're not even actually the same species. They're, they're somehow a symbiotic relationship. So I'm so glad for it because, and I'm so glad to talk about it because it really is a, a uniquely perverse aspect that's just there to add extra tension or extra horror. Um, it even, you know, it's a, it's a cheap scare when it falls down after it's died and lands on Ripley. You know, it, it, it fulfills a lot of, of, of purposes. And not to like uh, misquote or be reductive in any way, but isn't that like that was the the concept that made Dan O'Bannon wake up in the middle of the night and say, this is, this is the engine of the, of the horror in this story. And I, I agree with you, Patrick, about like the, uh, about the chestburster versus the face hugger. And if, if not for nothing, the chestburster being a cathartic scene and we're just like, there's almost a relief to it where you, now you at least know what, what's going on. And also what you said about how we spend more time with Kane with the face hugger. That's what I was thinking is that even at that stage or um, right when the chest burster comes out, there's so many scenes you could write. There's so many like little things you could have. Um, I mean, I don't know if they want to do this in the next movie or the TV show, but say they know what it is and they, he has the face hugger there and, and they're, and they're fighting and arguing, do we kill him? We have to kill him. We only have a certain amount of time, or maybe they choose to wait it out. I don't know. Maybe the, the their relationship isn't, they're not friends or something, but they wait it out so they can kill the, the chest burster. And then they're chasing a, a little baby chest burster down the hall and they're trying to step on it. 
I don't know. There's a lot that could be done. Don't hire me, clearly, but these are these are ideas we're having. I just want to flag one thing for just for throughout the conversation that Christian mentioned that I, I think, and it's also something that I had kind of alluded to earlier. The fact that these things don't have eyes is really powerful, and for all of the conversations we have about the design of these creatures, the lack of eyes to me was what hooked me the very first time I ever like, and and I still to this day there's something about that, and that's part of why I'm kind of uh, a little bit against the the translucent dome being too translucent because it like reveals too much like there's something about that that just continually mystifies me and it's worth pointing out and then i'll let perry go because i want him to get in here too but it's worth pointing out that at no stage of this life cycle and in no form of it in any of the films we ever see do any of the creatures have visible eyes right the egg Alien mm-hmm. Resurrection. Alien Resurrection. The newborn has eyes. <laughs> oh, it's that's terrible. right. The newborn has eyes. There we go. There, I knew there was something. And does it have? It has fucking Jim Henson uh, puppet works eyes too. With puppet it's, dog it's eyes. Little, it's little nose <laughs> wiggles. Yeah, I, I sometimes forget and that the resurrection tongue. exists. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Looks like a pile of lasagna. Uh, but yeah, yeah so so for me. discounting the newborn, uh, every single thing you know else, all the way up to the queen, doesn't have any eyes. And there's something beautiful about that because. Obviously, it it tell it cues us visually that there's that this is an alien creature, right? That there's that there it's using different mechanisms. I mean, anybody who's ever seen something like a blind cave minnow, for example, in real life, which is a kerosene, it's a fish with no visible eyes. Like, there's something really unsettling about that. Um, but like, to, that it, there's something alien about it. It's identifiably different from us. But the fact that like the egg responds to proximity and body heat, the fact that the hugger, like Jamie was saying, responds to proximity that, you know, as people are getting close to it, it senses that that's happening and it reacts biologically. The fact that the chestburster, when it erupts, comes out instinctively knowing where to look, even though it's not looking anywhere, right? That to me is so is so fascinating. And it's a big argument, in my opinion, against the vision sequences, even in Alien 3, but also especially in Covenant, because again, it's a demystification and it's a simplification. It's putting this like alien vocabulary in non-alien terms for us. So it's like, this is what it would see if it could look, which to me feels less... Uh, impressive or less atmospheric anyway i'll, I'll shut up with that but I, I i did i did want to flag that because it's something that we haven't really talked very much about but perry what, what, what are your thoughts on this first of all I, I do have to say back when i was a kid playing with the kenner aliens um i don't know if the ones you had patrick but you know some of them came with like a little face hugger oh yeah we got them all over the house yeah yeah the rings so, yeah <clears throat> yeah yeah you can like they can like go on your finger or whatever because because the or the hand yeah anyway but um i used to my friend chris and i used to like play with the little um the three four inch gi joes like that that's what we'd, we'd use and then we'd like create these scenes and um whatever we'd play aliens right but one of the things we loved doing was like we'd act like we're going into a nest and then like the face huggers are on the wall and then we'd like put them on the GI Joe's cause they fit perfectly. And then we'd like act out this whole sequence. Right. Which is um, just something I, I loved about being a kid and, and uh, having like shouting at him. They're like, forget him. He's gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Literally, man. It's just like that, man. Um, no, I, I do. I, I really, um, like the face hugger concept and everything about it. I, I mean, to your guys's point about like 
the early concepts of Giger and O'Bannon and, and what they were trying to create. Um, it's it's kind of like they're working the pottery wheel, right? And they finally created like this masterpiece of what they were trying to envision. Um, so we kind of get like this <clears throat> this end result of of just their great artistic abilities and, and their um, imagination into this uh, sci-fi horror and, and what they're trying to create. But uh, yeah, it's, I mean, could you imagine like petting a dog that doesn't have, eye, like a dog that just doesn't have eyes and like how much more, I think, scary or frightening a thing like that would be uh, versus it, um versus a a normal dog that has eyes but in the face hugger sense uh it it just it's 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 intriguing like i said at the same time you're you're just like how does it know this how you know besides the instinct or, or just whatever it is that makes it alien um just had my imagination going all the time and, and just something that I love and, and why I love it still um, to this day. But uh, yeah, I, I'm very much more, I, I even, I don't know. I, I know in covenant and in like just the, with the spores aspect and things like that, like, yes, that is scary. It's, it's very much more like virus um, similar to, or driven, I guess, but um I like the creature more in that aspect of the life cycle, just because it's, I don't know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's just something that I personally think just fits more with the scarier. Whole. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess because yeah, I mean, it's scary not knowing like you being infected with something and then all of a sudden you're, yeah, it's something's bursting out your back, but like, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely scarier, and I and I think it just fits too, like more with what the end product is, and and with the xenomorph, um, it it's like they're a family, you know. And I'm not trying to be funny in a way about saying that, but um, it's it's these stages of um, of this life cycle, and and in that the facehugger is is what is the scary, almost the scariest piece about it of what happens which is what even makes the end result that much more horrifying so well there's also in in horror there's this the concept of, of transgression like the character has to do something that maybe breaks a societal norm or something and that's why the punishment happens right so there's a there's a movie called dead birds that came out maybe 15 years ago where um, you find out at the spoiler, find out at the end of the movie that these characters, because they wandered onto uh, a certain piece of land, they've all been dead for the whole movie and you didn't know it. And it's really frigging annoying because you need to know when the character makes that choice, right? And so that's a huge difference between Covenant and Alien. In Alien, Kane goes into a place he's not supposed to be. He walks over to things he shouldn't be near you know what I mean? Like he keeps getting closer and closer and the audience is saying, please don't do this. And then, then this happens to him. Whereas what happens in covenant, they don't, they really don't know. They don't know that they've been, in, been infected. And now in our current age, that's scary because we're living that. But as far as satisfying choices in a movie, 
the character needs to do something that as an audience we see, okay, they shouldn't have done that thing. That's, that's the moment, you know, last house on the left, t- Texas chainsaw, whatever it is, don't go there. Don't do these things. So there's a, almost a morality to it. And I have another point, but I want to leave it open in case someone has something to say about Facebook. Well, I have a couple things uh, to mention in terms of the creatures not having eyes, whether it's the alien, the final result, or the facehugger, or whatever. Every step of the way, it doesn't have eyes. But And to your point, Perry, like if you're petting a dog that doesn't have eyes, it's it's scary. It would be freaky. And I think because we as humans, eyes can tell us intent for the most part. Eyes will tell us where we're at. And if I don't know in terms of when Giger was developing the, the life cycle and everything, like what his intent was, but without eyes, it, for me, it's scarier because it's, we don't need eyes because our intent is one thing, destruction, or not just destruction. It's essentially procreation. We're here to not, I mean, in our eyes, it might be destroyed, but to their eyes, it might be built. So we don't need eyes to, to tell you what we're thinking. There's only one reason that's, why we're here and to me that's that's terrifying because i mean i don't I, and that you know that's what made that that newborn garbage so stupid i mean it wasn't scary um and then it you know turned into the puppy dog so it was really kind of a dumbing down of i mean i get it, it was a mix and all that but it was just it just really threw you for a loop with the architecture of what geiger created um and in terms of the life cycle and I think Christian, you had mentioned this before in another show where the question is, is it the perfect organism by way of the life cycle? But then as I got older and I watch nature shows all the time and you see there's a spore that infected a, an ant and it grew right up, up and out of the ant, but it would, it would essentially drive the ant to climb as high as it could. So the spore could reach up and then do its thing. Or there's other organisms that would plant their eggs inside of certain smaller bugs and those eggs would hatch and then eat the thing alive and then burst out and then become something else. Or, I mean, and there's countless ways there are flies that will, if you're not careful, depending on where you are in the world, they'll, they'll bury their, their larva in your leg in human legs, the larva will hatch come out of your leg and then go do whatever. Um, so we have examples of that in our real life. So I don't know if on the evolutionary scale of like, well, could they do, could they come up with a better way of doing things? Probably they probably could. But what I love about the life cycle right now is it's very real. That kind of one, two punch um, where, yeah, we got to do this. And we've been talking about in other conversations kind of in our green room essentially of the show which is our text message thread of the big chap will we see the big chap will we see the big chap in the hulu series should we what version we're going to see we shouldn't see you know all these kind of different versions and i feel like that life cycle is important for the big chap because it's about gestation it's about time needed time needed to grow something to gestate something within that egg within that face hugger within that body to give us the big chap whereas in covenant it's different because it doesn't have that time it's it's different on the evolutionary scale within its own architecture or whatever and again kind of thinking about all of it especially the presence of creatures in our own real world 
that have a life cycle that is just like that. That's fucking scary, man. Like, and if we're not careful, you know, and a fly could plant it, a larva in our, in our calf. So, and I've seen videos too of, of doctors pulling larva out of people's calves. It's disgusting. Um, and they're big welts too. They're not like these little, they're big welts. So to your point about how it, when drawing comparisons to, or it of being evocative of things that happen in nature and how gross that can be. Like, I know a lot's been said about the queen demystifying the, the, uh, the alien itself. But if you even continue down that road that they've, that of course, James Cameron was thinking of and was hinted at in covenant of them being reminiscent of, of bees, not that they came from bees, but just, you know, something of uh, mites or comparative. Yeah. Like I recently looked up cause I was curious. I was like, so it all, I didn't quite understand how a queen bee worked. So I just Googled when is the queen bee born and how a queen bee is born. And I never knew this for, I'll, I'll just run through it. I, as I understand it, when the hive, uh, gets a sense that the, uh, they are going to need a new queen when the, when the current queen is dying or um, they uh, get a sense that it's that uh, the queen must be replaced soon. Any female bee has the potential to be a queen, but the way they become such is through their diet. So what they do is they'll start, they have, there are nurse bees that will feed the females uh, royal jelly, I think it's called, which is something that's secreted from their head. Everyone's nodding their heads. Everyone knows this. So, so this is for the few listeners who don't, I guess. So anyway, you a baby. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> Go ahead. I just, I just finished second grade. We just covered bees. Okay. <laughs> I was just thinking about Patrick wanting to eat the the royal jelly. Yo, that sounds fucking <laughs> yeah. delicious. Sounds royal so jelly. good. <laughs> bring it, bring it on. Bring they don't it on. sell royal jelly that, anymore. That you have to order it online. There's no royal jelly. You used to be able to get it at a Christmas tree shop. and everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, um, I thought <laughs> that's where you get royal jelly. I don't care. <laughs> um, uh, I think you know that's something almost that's touched on with the egg morphing idea of. Uh, you know, the, the aliens themselves being able to determine the next stage of the life cycle and being adaptive and all that. And, um, yeah. And, uh, one thing just throw in here, just as I was saying before I lose this thought, um, all the little touches, I think the ovomorph is really interesting and really complex and kind of beautiful and scary. Cause does the, does the, do the, do the eggs, create the atmosphere the the that um that covers the eggs that and that's another thing that's truly you know that's something they couldn't do close up in the 70s so it's just a great line where he says um it's covered by a by a layer it reacts when broken i feel like ridley got got that off in covenant with the spores he's like look i want these little spores to be kind of dancing around and and active like that i feel like that's how he saw it in his head in 79 and um and the dripping up you know, just art. Love that. I think that the field that's on top of it is space mm. jockey technology. I think that it's, it's a containment kind of field because we don't see anything like that in, um, in aliens. I, I believe there was going to be something like that in alien three in one of the versions, but I can't remember it, but it certainly isn't in the finished film and it isn't in sub- subsequent films. So I, I would say that that is, the space jockey ship continuing to keep these things viable. Mm, works for me. 
Yeah. I think it's actually technology from the concert promoter down the road who had a surplus of laser machines. <laughs> I was going to really say. I wanted to find a way to get the movie. Yeah, wasn't it? But, um, what, what, it was Pink what, Floyd, what, wasn't it? Yeah, Pink, Pink Floyd. Floyd yeah. 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 Oh, but, was it but, Pink Floyd? I thought it was amazing. But I do, I do think it's ship technology because it's also activated by his presence there. And I think that like it's it seems to be responsive to changes in like the environment and the relative humidity of having a human body in the room, which I have to say is more than I expected. And I'm saying that because I have... That's my fan. This, <laughs> this is actually the fan that you use. Uh, a hydrometer with me in my room. And uh, and I noticed that when I got in the room this morning to work, it was very dry because the heat's on. It was like 22% humidity. And then just by being here, it went up to like 29%. And now that I'm holding it, it went up to 32%. So the human body does produce humidity. And that could very well be what triggers that when they go into the egg chamber. Mm. But what's scary about those eggs in the discussion of the life cycle is it has to wait on something curious enough to actually look over it, right? It's got to wait on some lower form organism to be curious enough to be like, well, what isn't? Because, you know, like in terms of the creatures that live in our world, they're smart. They know when to run. I mean, some aren't. Some are like, what? And, you know, whatever. They get killed or eaten or whatever. But there are, are different levels in our animal kingdom of, of creatures that are smart enough to know we shouldn't be here right now. This is a danger. Whether it's the wildebeests in Africa kind of all running in unison, knowing, hey, something's here. Um, but with those eggs, they're counting on something dumb enough to look in them. Which was or, cu- or curious enough, right? or curious which, enough, which Dumb I think enough, is honestly enough? maybe more because well, they want a host that is intelligent. Do they? Yeah. Mm, really? Well, I yeah. think they want warm blood. But, well, but, also, but then, but then, why wouldn't they just be free roaming? Why wait until something looks right over it? You know. But okay, in Alien, what we're seeing are eggs that have been taken out of their natural environment and stored in a ship. When you look at aliens, you have a natural you know, here's a colony. They put the person against the wall. They bring the egg to them. The face mm-hmm. hugger jumps out. So that, I mean, you know, again, I'm, I, I'm applying the, the knowledge from aliens back to alien, but I still think it, it tracks that alien is the more odd circumstance of eggs that are not being tended by, by aliens themselves. And can I just go back for a second to uh, the cordyceps virus that Jamie was talking about, which thanks for reminding me of that so I can have more fucking nightmares tonight. So the when you see viruses like that play out at the scale of insects and ants and things like what we're talking about, right? The the I think we have to keep in mind the scale. So the face hugger is to us like pretty large because it's sized for us. But like if you if you're looking at an ant, like that germ that or that virus that causes this issue for the ant is proportionally to the ant not like that much smaller than the face hugger is to, I mean, it's smaller, but it's like in terms of scale, I think that the face hugger, like, because we don't have any corollaries to that. Like, for example, you're talking about that, um, the fly uh, issue, Jamie, I heard a story about a guy who had one in his head and it was like gradually getting bigger and bigger. And he was like scratching it more and scratching it more. And that was visible. So he was like wearing hats to cover it. It was like, man, I got to see a dermatologist. And then he was at a oh. baseball game and it exploded all over the people oh. next to him, oh, God. Um, <laughs> which is, which is fucking nightmarish, but we're really lucky that we're like, that we are macro organisms in the grand scheme of things. Like we're not exactly blue whales, but like, you know, I mean, after COVID, some of us are getting close to it, but you know, we're, <laughs> but we're at least we're pretty large organisms compared 
to an ant. So like, I think it's important to remind ourselves of the scale issue. Like if, if the thing that we're infected, if the fly that we're laying larvae in us were big enough to kill us, it would be like a very large fly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think too, that's what makes it again, just so scary because there, we don't really encounter that right on a day-to-day basis. It, to uh, to I guess like be reminded of something like that to where we're watching Alien and you're like, oh, this is just like the, the ant. Um, what's the word, Patrick? Call Cordyceps it. virus. Cordyceps virus. Yes, thank you. Um, to where you're to, to where that's you know like a common thing that have oh that happens to people all the time like, um, w- which was smart, right? Like obviously they they created this idea that is is you know, Jamie, to your point of like being, being raped through your mouth and not having the control or ability to stop, stop it because you don't know what's happening to you until it's too late. And, and that is just hellishly like the thing that nightmares are made of. I think we should move on from this and talk about some other things. We have about a good half hour before Patrick has to leave. The next line of questioning would be, does this work? Like, is this, is this, I mean, certainly as even this conversation has evolved, I feel like this is still very scary. You know, we talk about it in real world terms, the stuff that exists in our world and the guy with the thing on the head. And like, those are like, and if I think about the alien life cycle as as it's presented in Alien and the original trilogy up through Resurrection, there are still elements of it that really work, but is it effective still? Is it effective going forward? And I, I think that question is, we don't know what the Hulu series is going to do. Is that life cycle scary enough to replicate again? Um, and I think within that question, we can say, what should it do? Did Covenant present enough options? Or should we see it do something different? Just quick, I want to point out for anyone that wants a little bit of homework, um, there are two, Dan O'Bannon was a huge fan of classic horror stories, right? And there are two stories in particular, The Tomb of Yovambas by Clark Ashton Smith and a story by M.R. James called The Treasure of Abbot Thomas that both feature very facehugger-like creatures. And I'm just curious, I'd have to, I guess, ask his wife, uh, I'm curious if, if there's any possibility that he'd read those stories or been, been influenced by them. There are leathery hand-like creatures that attach themselves to people's heads. Now, to the, to the topic that Jamie just brought up, I feel like when you look at the full series of movies that we consider, the, the what, six movies, Aliens is the only film that jumps past the life cycle, like I said at the very beginning. Um, Every other film feels the need to show us every single step. And I think that after Alien 3, there's a diminishing return on having that happen, especially when you include Alien vs. Predator and Alien vs. Predator Requiem. And I feel like the, the there's the classic trilogy, and then there's the mediocre trilogy of Alien Resurrection and the AVP films. And those three movies, I think, are why... Ridley Scott felt nervous. Why he pulled it back from Alien Engineers to Prometheus, why he brought in 
that hack to, to rewrite the film. And he, I think he was feeling like we had seen, you know, when he says the beast is cooked, he's not talking about Alien 3 and he's not talking about aliens. He's talking about the way that even by Alien Resurrection, it's tedious. It's like, okay, here we go. There are the eggs. Now here's a chestburster. Now, here, you know, whatever. Um, and they really grind it into the ground in those AVP movies where it's just, they can't seem to get past the idea. You can just jump to the, the end result. If you don't feel inspired, just jump to the end result. And Ridley Scott, I feel, felt like, I'm not even going to touch that. I want to do a different thing. And that's where Prometheus really came in strangely. You know, let's kind of hint at things, kind of do something, sort of sidestep stuff. However, I firmly believe that someone that truly, truly loves the source material can find ways to take the, the existing life cycle and really show us, like Patrick was saying, show us the gestation, show us what it is like. The, the, if, you have, if you have eight episodes, eight hours, you can show someone who realizes there's something inside me. It's what made Ripley's journey in Alien 3 so amazing is when she realized there's something inside me, the alien won't kill me, no one else is gonna help me. You know, that kind of, of um, mental turmoil. So those are some of my thoughts. And again, just, you know, as shouting out Alien 3, that's a beautiful moment because it's paradoxical, just like the best moments in Alien always are, right? She becomes like invincible to everything but her fate and is forced to reckon with that, to actually be face-to-face -face with the creature that she's been running, you know, to and from for the previous two movies and have the creature, you know, affectionately come right up to her and then leave. And, and there's this wonderful sense of, again, ambivalence about that that I think is really powerful. I do like the mystery of not seeing the whole life cycle. Like, for instance, there's the discussion about Alien 3, where'd that egg come from? It's whatever, it'll always be there. Um, but there's a mystery there of how did she, what impregnated her? Um, what And and I, in the assembly cut, I haven't seen it in a while. Do they find the queen? Is that the queen, the face hugger in that cut? I can't remember. There's is a, it okay? Yeah. There's a yeah. very quick moment where if you didn't know what you're looking at, you wouldn't. Uh, well, you know it's it a face. Yeah, yeah. Watch it again, but but yeah. Even even in the in the assembly cut where you see the the very different looking queen, both aliens had to have come from that facehugger. Like, there's this question of is there, is there more than one facehugger? There can't be. If you're holding up the queen facehugger and it's next to the ox that then gives birth to the runner, they both came from the queen, facehugger. And that's a very fascinating idea. A queen, a, a facehugger that will lay more than one, like a, it lays a queen in one person and a protector in another. Anyway, so yeah, that's, that's another neat wrinkle. Yeah, and yeah. I like that explanation. But, yeah. and we bypass the egg. I mean, the egg's the question, but there's mystery surrounding it. And the mystery makes it a little bit more scary where I don't think you need to see every step of the life cycle for it to be effective. Um, and then if we skip ahead to Covenant um, and the spore, I think the spore, and I remember to your to your point, Patrick, when I saw Covenant for the first time, or even the 10 minutes I saw of Covenant in 2017 before they released it on Alien Day, um, that sense of what's actually happening right now. I don't really know what's happening. And you think you don't really know what's going on with this guy. Yes, he's been infected, but we've never seen something like this before. You don't, you're not sure what's going to happen to him, what's going to come out of him. And then it comes out of his back. And I remember just the horror of that and covenant for me. Um, I've never been as horrified 
an alien film or any film as I have seeing that 10 minutes of backbursting and then the throat burster, which to me, I couldn't even gag like it was gross and it was disturbing and scary. Um, and it was really effective without, and it bypassed the life cycle completely. And I felt like, you know what? This was right. This was right to kind of turn it on its head and to make it different because we have seen the other way a lot. And it's like, and it almost becomes litigious. It becomes, oh, okay. Oh, there's, there's the ego. All right. And uh, okay. And then even in Covenant, what also happens when we do see those portions, they're sped way up. And it's like, okay, we need to get through this. So it almost becomes disrespectful of the life cycle because you know Ridley or whoever was like, we got to move past this. So that life cycle takes its time for a reason. And I think they should have just kept it to the spores. Um, honestly, maybe there was a spore in the ship and it infected, what's his name? The What's the guy who got chest bursted on the ship? I can't remember his name. Nope. Um, Lope. It, no. Lope. No, Lope yeah. was his. Oh, at the end. Yeah. At the end. Okay. Yeah. I thought, I yeah. thought Lope was his partner. Uh, anyways, I loved the, I love the spores. I love the, uh, the different way that it kind of creeped in, into us. It felt really fresh and terrifying. Hallett was his partner. They had the throat burster as a throat burster. Yeah. Hallett. Okay. I, okay. Maybe named after Dane Hallett. I don't know. <laughs> I just want to say briefly to that point that to, to me that that's a, a huge reason why I defend Covenant all the time is because it, it did have that sense of an, a real unraveling that hadn't been spoiled yet and felt genuinely like nauseating to me and 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 I, I still I'm pitching myself that we got to talk to Ben about it which is so cool too to get that like sort of inside line on what that was really like but but to me that's one of the great strengths of Covenant and of course it's you know in the final third of the film is is almost erased by how rushed all of the tropified you know bursting is and and it's and it's something that you know by the time like you were saying earlier christian you get to the avp films it's just it's almost like loading a bullet into a gun chamber and then racking it and then shooting it right it's just like oh look there's another thing okay great you know here's another one. it just becomes this like completely mechanized thing that's so devoid of the horror that's there in the first place and that is what is a trope in the in the pejorative sense of the term it's it's robbed of any importance other than the fact that it's like a narrative device to just sort of get you to where you got to go. Everybody gets it. It's shorthand. Oh, it's scary. What to do here goes a fucking alien coming out. Um, and in rushing it so much, like I, I agree with what's been said tonight. It is robbing it of what was so elementally frightening in the first place and what's so poetic and so interesting. And like the idea of being face hugged is a really horrifying thing. And it should be treated as such in movies, right? The idea of being bursted forth from is terrifying. We should feel that, right? And in Covenant, during the the entire sequence that we've been discussing, to me, there is a real sense of that. There's a sense of confusion. There's a sense of your of your freedom being usurped. There's a sense of violation. There's a sense of oh my god, there's no way out of this. There's a, there's a sense of like everything is crashing. Um, so you know, if you were that that ant who was infected by the cordyceps virus, which Xander, who's in our chat, running our tech end things rightly points out is also what the last of us is based on. It's, it's the idea of what if the cordyceps virus transferred to humans, which is a very frightening concept. Um, you know, 
in that case, there is a sense of a, of a real, like, can you imagine if, if, I mean, ants are not particularly sentient, but they have some degree of self-awareness, you know? So can you imagine having enough degree of self-awareness to know that you're about to have this protuberance growing through your skin, bursting out of it that will control you, right? And like, where do you end and where does this thing begin and what happens to your identity? I mean, James, I think, Jamie, you were saying earlier about how they become one organism. Yeah, the facehugger and cane become one for a while. Like, that is so fucking scary to me. Like, you want to talk about things that will get into your head. The idea of losing a sense of yourself because you've been consumed by something else at the same time and you're confused about where you begin and end. I, mean, I find that very frightening about Gibson's scripts for Alien 3. The fact that they're transforming from the inside out. And so by the time they're actually visibly xenomorphic, they have already turned internally. That's really fucking scary to me. That's body horror, right? And there are so few movies or books or stories for that matter that really lean into that idea of what is actually happening to me, right? I mean, District 9 does a good job of it. And, and that aspect of District 9, I find very frightening. That's something that can be explored more. And I, and I think part of why Covenant was so frightening in, in the lead up to the release, when we've talked about this before in the Covenant series, was all of the concept artwork that was shown in the art book and, and the releases, you know, the Fox putting stuff out on social media that showed all these various mutated, you know, hybridized forms of Shaw or of something. And we were all like, what's going on? Like, there's so much mystery left in this life cycle. There's so much more to be said about the prepotence, the accelerant, about what this actually could do to an organism. That's fucking horrifying. Holly's series, to me, is well positioned to explore that better than just about anything because it has time to breathe and it has time to talk about experimentation and competition. Look at the fucked up things that companies do right now in the... Uh, and to advance technology and gain a market foothold. Look at the atrocities that they commit right in front of our fucking eyes. Look at Bangladesh factories collapsing, right? Look at en entire strips of land being just taken from people who are then forced into you know, servitude. Like, like these companies do this stuff all the time in real life. So it's not a big, you know, it's, it's not a huge leap to think they would do this with genetic technology as well. Look at fucking pharmaceutical. I mean, I, I live 20 miles away from Purdue Pharma. That fucking, that, that crystalline palace of death is just looming over I-95 every single day. And that's where the opioid crisis started right? And they knew it and they did that willfully and intentionally to get people addicted to it. Like, and that is something that we, we know about, like that's common knowledge. And yet they're trading great on the stock market and they're fucking sitting there right now down the road for me. That to me is very, very frightening. And in Holly series, if we're getting these companies pitted against each other and genetic technology is somehow at the, or this idea of, you know, whether we transfer our intelligence or we transfer to an artificial intelligence, or we just genetically engineer a new intelligence, like this, the type of frightening hybridization that that could get to gets under my skin and it doesn't even exist yet. Like I'm already afraid of it. And, and that to me is really exciting. And I think it speaks to what is powerful about this life cycle and all of the potentials that it can entail. Because of course, there was a stage of the life cycle before the other things that we're talking about, which is the accelerant, which is this chemical that just appears throughout the universe and is you know, used throughout the universe for various ends as a way to genetically accelerate things and to change the structures of things. And sometimes that results in the alien, as we know, and sometimes it results in other things too. It's very scary to me. I'm glad you've arrived at that about how there's so much more mystery in it, because I truly feel that way too. And, and I hope it is, it, maybe, hopefully people can start thinking of the creature 
as not just the final stage as that entire thing, because I think the reason it becomes a means to an end and it just becomes so mechanical story-wise and it just gets blown through and without regard for the horror of it is because people want to get to the alien, but the alien's right there. It's just in a different form and it's very scary as it is. So, I mean, you can make a person like uh, Kane with a face hugger attached to them like the Hitchcock's bomb under the table, you know, if something make it a, make it a ticking clock, you know, there, if you can integrate it into the story, if, if all your story is how do they react when the aliens are on the loose, then you're not going to think about, you know, the other parts of the aliens life cycle, which, you know, I want to present something that we haven't discussed at all. I don't think we've, we've, just talked about it briefly on some shows here and there in terms of the life cycle, in terms of, of something that I think is horrifying that was deleted out of Alien because of pacing, egg morphing. And I feel like that could something that could be something that could be reintroduced into this life cycle in a way we haven't seen. Because what's more horrifying than something inside you, but you're growing into it it's, and you're sentient for it. You're conscious. Patrick, you've talked about this before you're you're still you but you can't move and oh no your hand is now fused to your leg oh now your other hand is now fused to your leg and it's just creeping up your body and you're like distending and you're becoming something that's going to be eventually a host for a new face hugger um and i think that that is some of the worst and most nightmarish kinds of life cycle that we haven't seen that i think it's just unexplored territory. And I, I, if it's done right, and if it's done even in a lab, say, if, if say an accelerant is used and they mess, they mess up or whatever, and it's a, and all of a sudden, uh, much like Gibson's script, there's this time, some type of internal change. Even in the comics, like uh, they really chronicled that in a way that was really creepy to me. And I think it could be an entirely different path that essentially I don't, I don't i don't remember the name of the 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 number of the what do you call the xenomorph what's the technical term xx121 xx121 that could be a, a version of that the birth of that creature um so i i'm a proponent of egg morphing or whatever you want to call it you guys have memories of when you first became aware of that idea and if it if it spoke to you because i always thought it was cool i never thought it was that big a stretch from anything else we see we're all we're organic material we have bones in us that could maybe be melted down or repurposed and egg morphing what are, do you guys have any memories of that i have strong opinions about it yes. want to hear them please <laughs> <laughs> so um when you when you you when you look at the footage even even when they finally cleaned it up and put it in the in the uh the director's cut it's really murky it's really hard to tell what you're supposed to be seeing but in photos of, um, of Brett's body, you can see that there's, it's, it's almost like the, the petals on the, mm-hmm. on the egg are coming up over him. Mm-hmm. So for all that he is being, his body mass is involved in the process, but there has to be something that the alien, the, the big chap has done. He, big chap has somehow, um, changed him or laid something that is changing him changing his body mass into this thing and 
and the body, the, the new formation is absorbing him because it's coming up over him. It's not like food. Place. Yeah. 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 Like it, it's providing food for what will be the face hugger inside the egg, but also somehow making the egg, which is very strange. And the problem I have with this is if we're going only by alien, the space jockey is gigantic. It's like 20, 25 feet tall, but the eggs that are in the cargo hold are, are small, right? They're three feet tall. So some people say, oh, this must be the crew of, of the derelict ship. And I'm like, bullshit. This thing is tiny unless it splits into multiple, like one, one space jockey makes multiple eggs. I don't see how that would work. So that's one problem I have with it. The other problem is now you're requiring two humans, two hosts per alien. You need one to be food for a facehugger to grow, to jump out onto another person, to incubate, to jump out of that person. And now you have an alien. And that seems really redundant to me, unless the alien is specifically designed as a weapon that you drop on a population. Because early on, the alien had about a 48-hour life cycle. That's why at the end of the movie, it's turned black instead of white, and it's moving more slowly. It's dying. So imagine, only going by that early idea from the first film, you drop these eggs on a population. People get face-hugged, aliens pop out, Aliens grab people and make more eggs and then they die. So eventually you have a place where new eggs have been formed and no alien warriors or whatever you want to call them are left as a threat. You can come back in, collect the eggs, go on to your next target. So in that sense, that's kind of interesting. But as far as like a, a life cycle, the, this two-step, this added step of the process of where you have to find an extra person to somehow immobilize and turn into an egg so that they can make a face hugger to jump on to the next person. Why can't the alien just make a little baby and stick it on somebody? Like I, it just, why can't it poop out a little face hugger and stick but, it on somebody? Still. <laughs> but if the alien knows that there are more hosts on that ship, it's morphing the eggs to, to use those hosts to create itself, right? Maybe, maybe. Okay. So we see two eggs. And at that point, before the alien's death or not, it was alive at that point, there's the idea that there's Parker on that ship and there's Lambert on that ship and there's Ripley on that ship. So it knows it has hosts options. Um, I don't think that Dallas is being turned into an egg. I think he's the host for what's going to come out of Brett's egg. Could be, could be. Yeah. So even right there, like you grab them in pairs and there you go. I just, be. you know, yeah, yeah. And in the right hands, it could be done well, absolutely. Um, but a lot of things could be done well. Like Patrick was saying about the the Gibson Alien Three script, between Alien Resurrection and Alien Covenant, they mined that script of a ton of good ideas. Um, the the back burster, the throat burster, those are all Gibson ideas. The the spores are Gibson's idea. But what they haven't used is the idea of someone changing under their skin and having the alien burst out from them. And that's another thing, you know, it's a dramatic change to the life cycle. You're, you're talking about really when you, when you, and here's another thing, I'm, I'm really protective of the, the idea of the, the, the big chap or the warrior or whatever. And I'm worried about going too far away from that because I feel like it's, if I wanted to see an alien that can be any shape, I'll watch the thing, right? I want to see something that looks like Giger's two-legged bipedal crazy beast and alien three is within that realm. So I'm fine with it, but you know, I'm not, I don't want an octopus alien. I don't want a shark alien. Right. Patrick um, does. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> 
uh, you know, I, I have to hop off. I want you guys to continue going because this is a great conversation. Before I do, I, I, I have to just remind you of. <laughs> yep. Tekrov's alien. And I also have to say egg morphing for me is something that I, I, I don't like. It's something that I think I'm glad was excised from the movie. And it's something that I don't think was really clearly thought through originally, but that I do think could has the potential to be like among the most horrifying things I could I can imagine. I, I already elucidated my plan for this in the last episode. But since then, I've, I, people have written into me with that. They're like, hey, like, is that like, that's a really cool idea. Like, I, I was thinking about something like that, too. It's like something that people have thought about, I think, because there's this implicit horror to that that is waiting to be explored. I, I mean, here's an idea. So like, what if instead of just being sort of food for the host egg, <clears throat> if you were gradually turning into it, maintaining some degree of low like sentience, like, you know, maybe your frontal lobe was no longer working because it was consuming too much energy, but like your midbrain and your lizard brain were still going to keep your biological functions active. So you're basically just this id, you were just like your child self afraid and, you know, terrified forever, you know, and, until the egg opened. And then over time, as you like moved into it, your mouth became the aperture that was the opening of the egg. And it was sucked tight for your entire, for hundreds of years or something. And then when that host finally comes, you let the scream out. And that scream is the face, is the face hugger erupting out of your body. And then you die. Because again, of course, wrapped up in this entire thing is this birth death that we go to all the time, right? That in order to produce the face hugger, the egg must die. The egg no longer serves a purpose. The hugger dies as soon as it lays. You know, the chestburster becomes the alien, which then dies within two days. Like <clears throat> there's this amazing rapidity of life in this series, but that's a moment of stasis. And that moment of stasis to me is very scary. There's, you know, a, a many reasons why the space jockey is so haunting to so many people. But one of which is it's really hard to tell if it's like, I mean, it looks like it's been there forever, right? It looks like it's been become fossilized. Uh, and, and I think that that idea of like, the, we have these little glimpses of really quick events, but they're couched in this eternal continuum is frightening. And what if you were sucked into that eternal continuum and able to move? I, I find it, 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 it touches on something in my head that I'm deeply afraid of that I think Alien has helped me realize I'm deeply afraid of. And that's, part of what makes me think it's it's good territory for horror anyway i love you all thank you i'm hopping off but keep going this is a great conversation and i can't wait to hear the end of it can i add something i wanted to sort of touch on um, and I'll segue into the egg morphing a little bit, but um, Jamie, when you brought up just the life cycle throughout all the films, something that I always thought about before I like met all of you amazing people and were able to really get my ideas out here and chat through um, what it is I had been watching all these years uh, and keeping in my own um, brain, but uh was just I, I do enjoy the idea of the accelerant of the the black goo have you or um you know what the engineers were experimenting with or or creating or using to destroy and create life again on other planets uh because it allowed me to sort of connect some dots as far as are these aliens in all of these situations that we see throughout all of the films 
um, you know, reacting to their environment in a way that's accelerated by this very intelligent, like black goo that's just trying to survive or procreate or whatever in every moment. What I'm trying to say is like, that's maybe an idea of the very beginning of where possibly these things could have come from. Right. So they, so they all essentially have like this accelerant in their DNA. Uh, and you kind of get a glimpse of that when David, they're on the ship in Prometheus or they're in the structure and David's like opening the door and he like touches the goo and he like looks at it like this and you see like the green whatever going on inside and you're like, oh, like this stuff is living like there's, you know, it's it's still there. Like after all this time, like whatever happened to these engineers, like there's still something alive in this place. And, uh, so, so I do appreciate that. So then I feel like in covenant too, when we get like the accelerated life cycle or the spores and things like that, it's like versions of, of those things that have let to rest. Uh, and then when they're, ruptured or, or tampered with by by another um, mammal or or what have you host um it reacts in a way that's gonna that's gonna allow it to procreate so in a sense now it's segueing to the egg morphing it wasn't something that i really disliked or or did didn't hate like i I, I was, again, just very curious about that whole aspect. And, and Maj, I, I remember like just getting my hands on a director's cut or something like that. Um, I can't remember when exactly I, I watched it or, or maybe it was like I was doing, I was looking online and like digging. I was like, oh, deleted scenes from Alien, like in this director's cut version. And I, and I remember watching that for the first time and I was just in awe. I was like, are they? Are they being cocooned like in aliens? Like is is the big chap like knowing how to like cocoon these things or like and so I assumed it was like a survival technique. Like it's tr- it's wanting to, you know, maybe the big chap can't is is going to die at some point, but he's trying to like I guess, I guess procreate for his race to keep going. And, and keep doing what it does. And, and so like, I, I feel like that was something that Ridley gave me in Prometheus as an idea of to like, why it's doing that and, and why, why this is happening or, or why they do that. Um, in a sense, although I, I'm just very, I, I love the mystery behind it. Like if that's all we ever get and they never expand on that, great because there's like that Mm -hmm. unknown there that i can just extrapolate on in my own imagination but yeah i mean if noah hawley and brings something like that into the series or or just like has something to do with the I, i guess just with the competing of like trying to build um like this artificial intelligence or something like that and and this ends up being a a way that they do that or, or create a, a weapon or, or whatever that turns into being, I, I think would just be, is a cool concept. Um, and I'll end on this, I guess, like just to, to what Patrick just left us with is, is very powerful and, and just something to think about. Uh, but it's, it's just kind of along the lines of like being buried to death, right. Or like d- drowning um, or being like tied 
in like in left in like a burning building, like you're tied up, you can't move your arms, you can't do anything, but you're going to like die or, but, and you can't do anything about it. And again, it just like comes back to like this lack of control piece, like the free, like the lack of fr- no freedom. And um, that like truly is just such a hum- humane experience that we all have or have, have our own viewpoint of. Um, within our own experience growing up and in our own lives that it's it's so scary in our in its own unique way to everybody Um, like Jamie I can't I don't know what how scary or what that's like for you to think about that Maj I don't know what it's like for you Christian um, you know Xander Patrick anyone out there like you we all have our own unique version of that and I think that's um a, just another testament to what yeah. alien is you know and, and what it brought to us that horror itself it isn't it, its uh, strength is like what you bring to it yes yeah mm. yeah i agree i'm curious so, like i wonder if in terms of like the egg morphing if you would if we didn't even call that but if we saw something like that say in the holly series or whatever someone runs across and like what's going on here and they're like we don't know what it's doing i like that explanation even better we don't know it looks a little bit familiar but we actually so and you're kind of like oh my god like and i like that something alien should be doing something alien should be doing something we're not sure what it's doing and even in in terms of the body morphing the actual becoming the creature itself if that were to happen I think that's something that's going to have to happen over a, a long period of time where slowly the body starts distending, slowly the neck gets longer, slowly your head, your, your, the bones in your head start breaking, collapsing, and moving like over a period of six months or, or whatever. I mean, I don't know if that would even be uh, helpful in the life cycle, but at the same time, I think at the heart of it, the the line you don't cross is that accelerant has a way it works on its own. And if you take it to try and use it, it's going to kill you. And, and it's going to do things it shouldn't do because you shouldn't be touching it, which might be body morphing or doing things to the human body that seem that are just horribly disgusting because it's not meant for us to tamper with. It's has its own means, its own way of doing things. If it gets, in a natural world, like in covenant, it will get into the soil to get into the, into the, into the, the flower, the plant life on its own without us tampering with it. Um, and find a way to then make a vehicle to like get into an organism on its own. But if we tamper with it, it's going to do things we couldn't even imagine. Um, and it will ultimately, um, destroy us. So I, I like the idea of maybe just saying, Yes, there's a life cycle, and if you mess with it, uh, it's it's going to be over for you and everyone around you. I have one last thought about the the egg situation. Um, in Alien, there are a lot of Egyptian um, Egyptian symbolism. Even the Whaling Yutani symbol is an Egyptian wing uh, pattern. But what the alien does to Brett. Um, when it kills him, it, it punctures and pulls out part of the brain, 
which was how a mummy was prepared in ancient Egypt. They'd reach up through the nose, right, and pull out part of the brain. And then he's encased, if you go by the director's cut, he's encased in almost like his own personal pyramid that he grows around himself. And so there's, there's a really interesting idea of almost a religious aspect or a, a, um, a ritualistic aspect, whether it's intentional or not that, um, or, you know, Brett's my favorite character. So I'm always going to look for ways to uh, bring it around to him, but I like the idea of the alien doing something that we don't understand. But when you get the full picture, like, wait a minute, was it doing, was it doing that? Is this what's happening? Is it, you know, or, or, or even if it's not an intentional thing, if it has echoes of something that that's always good. I hate that. I always want to rewrite covenant, but I wish, I wish when they'd gotten to the planet, there already were either neomorphs or, or, um, or xenomorphs on the planet. And there was more of a siege aspect where we could, you could cut out all the Orem stuff and just David could still definitely have his lab and could show all of the, um, the life cycle that he's been able to observe, but have the sense of more, you know, um, we've, we've circled the wagons and we're waiting, waiting for reinforcements instead of this, we're just here until something happens. So that's just, again, using the life cycle better to keep the plot going. I like that, Christian. That's cool. Yeah. Well, as always, I feel like there's always more to talk about. I mean, we're going to eventually <laughs> talk about the beast itself and its iterations from the big chap to the neomorph to the protomorph, which I don't even think is a real word. I mean, I don't think it was <laughs> used in Covenant, but there's a lot of different iterations of this beast, but there's also a legacy of Giger's monster that has changed the face of monster films um, w- since the introduction of Alien. And we're going to explore that in a series, a mini series, three or four episodes, talking about that legacy, talking about how amazing that design is and how untouchable it is. Even within its inter- iterations, they kept the architecture because that architecture of that long head and just the body and the slender skeletal body, it's really scary. It's terrifying to see that figure. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it more. Um, and we certainly will in, uh, amongst the two of us as myself and Patrick and as a round table. And sometimes the four of us, myself, Patrick, Christian, and Andy, um, there's a lot to really talk about and we're excited to explore it, but we just thought we'd take some time to talk about the life cycle. We'd love to hear what you guys think about the life cycle. What's scary to you? What isn't scary to you? Um, what would you like to see? And this conversation will continue in our Facebook group, Building Better Worlds, please join. Um, There's great conversations always going on there. And as we approach the Hulu series, I mean, it's probably about a year or so off, but this year they're going to go into production like in March. We'll probably be seeing things, hearing things more as the months go on. So there's a lot to talk about. And we don't really know what they're going to do in terms of a life cycle. We don't know. I suspect Holly isn't going to do what we've seen before. I suspect he's going to be a little fresher in his approach, but we'll see. So thank you guys for coming on. Thanks everyone for listening. If you want to support the show, like we were saying earlier, go to perfectorganism.com forward slash support, sign up for $4 a month and uh, support us in our endeavors. And uh, with that, thank you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks Thanks, everybody. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, 
please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.